Hello friends, welcome back to Unfamed Christianity, where we seek to help Christians find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. In the same vein as my last episode with Drew Latin, I'm excited to have another good friend, Ricky Miller, on the podcast today. Ricky's someone I, I've known here and there for a little bit, but have gotten to know quite a bit better in the last year since moving here to Colorado. We share a passion for, for Jesus and specifically for his word and and just understanding it better and understanding story learning how to read scripture as story and that's what we dive into in this episode ricky is the teaching pastor of skyline mennonite church here in canyon city colorado he also serves as a chaplain a part of new horizons ministries and you'll hear us discussing that some in the podcast but all of this is a part of kind of leading into the Finding My Place in God's Story course. I'm going to be opening enrollment to that again in, in less than a couple weeks now. So stay tuned for that. If you would like to better understand scripture and discover how God has gifted you to participate in his restoring work, this course is for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ricky. I'd love to hear what stood out to you as, as you heard Ricky talk about the approach to scripture, understanding it as narrative, understanding how the ancient text was intended to be read, and how you flesh that out, particularly in our day and age today, but maybe also as you wrestle through uh, the, the way you would have approached scripture before. I'd love to hear a conversation about that. You can drop comments or email me at podcast at asherwhipper.com. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ricky. Ricky to Unfeigned Christianity. Thank you. It's good to be here, I suppose. It's good to have you on. Yeah. We, uh, the, several things. First of all, this is the first time I've done an in-person interview. And so there's tech stuff that I have no clue how the sound's going to come through. I guess we'll discover afterward what I should have done differently. But as well as video, yeah. I always record video. This is probably like the highest quality, quality interview I've done. I was like, where did, where did I do this? Did we just go in our off, my office? And then I thought of the pictures here, the plant that's here. I was like, oh, well, I'll just make use of this. So yeah, it's kind Perfect. of fun rigging up a studio here. I was going to say I've been pleasured. Is that weird to say pleasured? that? Pleasured? I've been pleasured to get to know you. No, that's probably a good idea. In the last year. Yeah. As we've moved in here to Colorado and yeah. we've had increasing conversation about a lot of things yeah. but but for the purpose of this convert of today's conversation a lot of conversation around the bible and how to read mm-hmm. the bible mm-hmm. study the bible mm-hmm. and so when i think of having episodes that explore i don't know if i'd say yeah because it's not like scri- scripture study or scripture reading is one of those things i don't know that you can ever say that Oh, you're doing it all wrong. Mm, yeah. And now here's the right way to do it. Yeah. But just more like expanding a fuller reading of scripture and and particularly like how how it applies to our life today and how we fit into it and everything. Yeah. 
So yeah, I just, I don't know, I guess I didn't talk to you about this before, but I don't know if, would it be helpful to hear some of your own journey and your testimony? You grew up in, not in Holmes County, but in Ohio? Is that yeah, I uh, grew up in Martinsburg, small rural community, and basically I was a terrible student in school, which was really interesting. Me too. And then I w went into construction, then my parents moved out here six months after my wife and I got married, and so I took over the business. Your parents were here in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, they moved out sure here. Uh, it would have been back, well, we got married in 13, so the beginning of 14, okay. they moved out here, and then they were out here for two and a half years, or three years, uh, while I was running the small business back home, doing windows and doors, and then they got done with their term out here, they moved back, and it was kind of in the transitional point of that when I got a call from a school in Holmes County called Gospel Haven, and they asked if I would be the school administrator. And initially I said, no, that's, that's not at all the path that I'm supposed to be on. And then about four months later, they called back again, and they said, hey, we still haven't found anybody yet. Would you at all be willing to at least interview for the position? And so I went to the meeting as an interview, and they took it as this is definitely a go because oh, he, made, he came to the interview. And so it was very interesting. It was like a board meeting setting, and they were basically talking about the logistics of how all of this is going to work out. Yeah. So we ended up then buying a house in Holmes County, uh, and I worked on it for the whole summer in the evenings after work, uh, remodeled that, started school in August, and then we didn't move up until end of September. So there was a bit of a time where I was commuting back and forth, but then did that, was at school, and then after school, it really lit me on fire to uh, go deeper, study mm -hmm. things, understand the why of things. And partially that had to do with the notion of teaching. And I realized that when, if you're going to teach well, then you have to be the greatest student and you mm -hmm. have to learn mm -hmm. the most. Mm -hmm. And so I really started studying at that point. Uh, and then that kind of transitioned me. Then we moved out here and I joined the prison ministry team, which then again is the exact same thing where it's this deep dive into studying because you're talking to people then that we don't generally communicate yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking to atheists, you're talking to Buddhists, you're talking to Hindus, Islam, everything in between. And these guys are grappling with all of these questions. Mm -hmm. And so either you can just tell them, well, I don't know, which works for some things because you have to be intellectually honest. But then you also have to say, OK, based upon what mm -hmm. I've seen and this is what I've experienced, then maybe this could be a better pathway forward. Yeah. And there was an individual whose name was Travis Woods. He he was at Territorial. Uh, for a while, and it was kind of that relationship. He was a staunch atheist, hmm. but him and I had some of the greatest conversations because we really were grappling with things. Interesting. And it kind of uh, created an environment for me where then I really started diving into maybe the apologetics, Ravi Zacharias, and that type of mindset hmm. where it was very much understanding the principles and how to articulate an argument from Scripture. Uh, and maybe later on we'll get to then how <laughs> I've transitioned out of maybe that mindset to some degree, mm -hmm. taking the scholastic perspective and looking at the Bible more from a symbolic or ancient perspective and mm -hmm. understanding biblical cosmology and how we fit into that story. Mm -hmm. And so that's been kind of an interesting progression. Yeah. It's not really my testimony of 
coming to Christ and all that, but that's a little bit of the intellectual journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, so I've, I forgot to mention, well, maybe I mentioned in the introduction, but you, you serve on, on the chaplain team with New Horizons and also serve as the teaching pastor here at Skyline. Mm-hmm. And so you're still mm-hmm. continuing to have roles where, yeah, you you are forced to, mm-hmm. to dig in and mm-hmm. and learn more. It's interesting. I mean, some of that I kind of knew, but um, that's a lot of that is kind of my s- same journey in that hated school, didn't do well at school, get asked to teach, decide to go teach, and then mm-hmm. through that mm-hmm. feel this need for more more training, digging in further. Yeah. Maybe let's just dive in there. What... You, one of the comments you have made to me is is how when I asked you about having this interview, you you were you said something about you you feel like what you have to say could be kind of raw as you're mm. relearning some things. I mm-hmm. kind of forget how you worded it, but mm-hmm. what are things that you're learning about scripture, about reading scripture? that is different than maybe what you mm-hmm. how you would have approached it before. So maybe I'll start off with how I would have approached it and how traditionally I would have understood scripture and then kind of the the evolution yeah. of that of where it is today. But basically growing up in a Mennonite fairly conservative Mennonite church, the Bible was somewhat of a guidebook uh, or principles and so a lot of the preaching that came across the pulpit was practical in its orientation. And what I mean by that is, these are the principles of Scripture. How do we live out these principles properly? And that's basically where you get this idea of a very literal interpretation of Scripture. And what happened then is, there, there really wasn't that much of the Old Testament. There was there was Old Testament passages that were brought in to reinforce New Testament ideas, but it was always weighted on the reality of the New Testament and actually seeing things from a very logical perspective. Specifically, there were some things that were associated with that. So when I, when I was then asked to teach out here with the Ascend program, it, I was already kind of on this journey of rediscovering the story of scripture Hmm. over opposed to just understanding the principles. And so I asked my cousin who was out at Sattler University, I'm sure you're familiar with that at the time, uh, his name's Timothy Miller, what I should be teaching these young people. And he recommended to me uh, Inductive Bible Study by David Bauer. Interesting. And I read through it, and the first time I read through it, I realized, whoa, this is way more than I could ever teach on. Hmm. But it was a lot of fun because then I had to basically put all the information on PowerPoints in order to teach. And I started to get this, this integrated view of the entire Bible and then specifically gaining some perspective and rediscovering the value of of the Hebrew scriptures. And so then we went from this to going into a program by Tim Mackey called Understanding the Hebrew Bible, which Hmm. has just been phenomenally interesting. And looking at the way in which the ancients would have understood the Tanakh and how it's woven together and the different seams that are put together and why the organization of it is the way it is, uh, so you go into that, and then you discover on this journey, you realize that 43% of the Bible is written in narrative form, and then you have 
24% is poetry, and then 22%, I believe that's correct, uh, is prose discourse or logical Hmm. discourse, Mm -hmm. which was radical to me because here, growing up, everything that we heard almost entirely was on this logical perspective or Mm. prose discourse. And when you come to interpreting the biblical narrative and you're interpreting biblical poetry and you're interpreting uh, the reality of most of the Old Testament, you realize that it's not meant to be understood that way. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's been that's been an interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fascinating. That's similar. I mean, mine mine wasn't through Bauer or. Well, a little bit through Mackie, but more just like discovering the biblical, like first discovering the biblical storyline and then how those different genres mm. kind of fit in mm. to push forward mm-hmm. that storyline. So how mm-hmm. you, you mentioned these different genres, prose being kind of compatible with logical reasoning and what's different? What's different about interpreting biblical uh, historical narrative or poetry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's a phenomenal question so when you're when you're dealing with narrative what you find is that at the core it is a perspective of meaning rather than simply a logical argument to a conclusion and so something specifically that you find is that the biblical authors almost never give you the conclusion of choices that are made within a given story. They allow the consequences of the choices to be the thing that determines whether the choice was a good or bad choice, Hmm. which is really interesting. Take, for instance, the story of Jonah. It's a perfect example of this. If you read Jonah in, in a children's story, you have the first three chapters. And so what it, what it speaks to you is this idea that, We're God's people, so we should go out to the heathen, the people that don't know God, and witness to them. And when we witness to them, they're going to repent, and then God is going to save them, and hallelujah, this is where the storybook ends. But what you find in the actual biblical narrative is chapter 4. And what you find is that Jonah is not thrilled with the fact that God saved the Ninevites. And so the whole story is actually about how God's people at times become the biggest obstacle to what God wants to do Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And so you just take that one story and you realize that there's much more compact meaning that's put into it than if we just read it as a logical linear story of we need to witness because we're God's people, so go out and witness Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. will get saved. Like There's an aspect of that, but it's far more that the story is trying to bring about this idea that God's people at times are the biggest hurdle that God has to overcome to accomplish his will in the world. Yeah, yeah. And how does that stem? I mean, I'm asking this somewhat rhetorically because back with Eden and mm-hmm. what happened in the Garden mm-hmm. of Eden, mm-hmm. is it similar? Is that the mm-hmm. similar struggle mm-hmm. kind of fleshing out in a new mm-hmm. way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you want to have a deep dive on... Uh, this subject in a very interesting way. Uh, there is a book. It's uh, by Matthew Pajou. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correct, but it's called The Language of Creation. Uh, it's an, And it's a commentary on Genesis. But it's so interesting because it doesn't read like a commentary in any way. And what it is is rediscovering biblical cosmology. 
And what you find within biblical cosmology is this overlapping perspective of meaning. And we didn't even talk about it as it pertains to poetry, but when you get to poetry, that's exactly what you find. If you take, I mean, any of the Psalms, and then Psalm 29, if you want to use that one as an example, what you find is that at the center is the core idea, and then it builds out, and the lines actually correspond to each other. And so it's almost like a a taco or the shell around it Mm -hmm. is what gives the meaning in the center the greatest oomph or the greatest power. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that you, at least for me, you start to discover as mm-hmm. you dive into yeah. the mm-hmm. difference in, in narrative and poetry uh, and then seeing that notion played out specifically in the Genesis story then. Yeah. And what you find is that the rest of the Bible literally corresponds to that story. Yeah. Yeah. So you can take every concept one concept for instance is the notion that god created man from the dust of the earth and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and so that overlap then happens all throughout the narrative take for instance specifically in the exodus story then where god is the one that breathes down and brings this people out right brings them out of egypt out of the clay out of the darkness out of the sin and he wants to set them free and then you go out and you get this narrative in exodus 18 where jethro moses father-in-law he says that hey what you're doing with judging them is not actually beneficial for you and so he says what you need to do is you need to appoint appoint worthy men to judge the smaller matters. And so what you find right there is the same exact structure where the heavenly seed or the heavenly information, the light or the manna that comes down from heaven is the thing that informs the people. And then the people are called to express that which is informed. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing that Adam is supposed to do in the beginning. He's supposed to take the breath and then he's supposed to express or have dominion, co-create with Christ to bring about the world that God is intending yeah. to bring about. Yeah. yeah, and I think I was thinking like in correlation with Jonah not being pleased that the Ninevites repented mm-hmm. this this struggle with, of of mankind to think they know what is right or wrong yeah. or good and evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That that's just you know, in all through throughout all these different genre stories, po- poems, we see this continue to be fleshed out. How life is trusting God's version of right and wrong, yep. good and evil. Yep. Yep. Death is trying to decide it for ourselves. Yep. Yeah, that's good. Have you been blessed by the work of Unfeigned Christianity? If so, I invite you to go deeper by becoming a member of Unfeigned Christianity on Patreon. All of our work is designed to help Christians find culturally aware, biblically nuanced, and Jesus-embodying responses to current day issues. And we could not do it without the support of our members. As a part of the membership, you get to go deeper into sorting through what does it look like to faithfully embody Jesus in a world and in our culture and time. There are three main tiers of membership. If you become an advanced member, which is the middle tier, I will send you a free copy of Lori and Matt Krieg's book, An Impossible Marriage. This is the best marriage book I've read. If you become an advanced member this month, I'll send you a free copy 
Now here's the really good deal. When you do an annual membership, you get 16% off. If you'd like to see more details, just visit asherwhipper.com forward slash member. Yeah, I don't know if you if you want to say more specifically on genre and stuff like that, or I'm thinking too, like how does this change your understanding of scripture mm-hmm. and the, mm-hmm. how you understand the storyline? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say one thing. It's mostly narrative, but it bleeds into poetry, is that you cannot read specifically the Old Testament, and find the heroes in the Old Testament, and then we emulate those heroes. Mm -hmm. That would have very much been how I would have grown up, where it's that notion of David and uh, Samuel and Jonah and Gideon and Samson, like all of these guys are heroes, Solomon, hero. And then we have these difficult questions of Abraham lies about his wife, and David commits adultery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so what you find is that the biblical narrative is actually... It is a a mirror that's meant to reflect back to you the choices that are made by these characters and the outcome of those choices. That is the thing that informs you of whether or not it was a choice that was beneficial, good, right, honest, all of those things, or whether it's the opposite. You mentioned Abraham. Perfect example of this. So you can take Abraham and you can hold him up as a hero, but there's a weakness that runs through his entire story, and it has to do with this notion of him trying to preserve himself as opposed to allowing God to work in the situation. But then you get to the end, and this is the reason why we know of Abraham, is because then when the greatest test comes, right, then we find that he's faithful. And so then when you get to the book of Hebrews and it's talking about his story, and this is what's just so fascinating, it calls him this man of faith, right? Mm -hmm. Even though his actual life story is a reflection of faithlessness, faithlessness, faithfulness. But then you get to the punchline and he's faithful. And then the same thing is with, with Sarah. In Hebrews it says that, she was given the power to conceive by her faith. Well, what do you mean? Like, that's not her actual story. And so how are these New Testament authors then living in the, in the world where they see that being the predominant thing that happens in their life? And that's where you get to the notion of these narratives actually being a mirror that we enter into. Hmm. So that's been the radical transformation that's happened for me specifically, is how do you find your place in God's story? And the answer is you realize that these characters are not heroes, but they're actually a mirror that's meant to reflect back to you the way in which you grapple with life. Mm -hmm. And so then that's what, when you come to Jesus then, what is just such a radical transformation Another book that had a tremendous influence on me within the last five years is a book by E. Stanley Jones called uh, The Christ of the Mount. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all or not. But it's this same overlapping pattern that has that has been revolutionizing the way in which I've interacted with, with the Bible. And that is recognizing the overlapping patterns of meaning 
that are being brought forward within the biblical text. So that's what I would say on narrative and how that's being transformative within my understanding. That's good. It's beautiful. It makes me think of James where he says Elijah was a man just like us. You know, this kind of aha moment or whatever when you Mm -hmm. realize that, yeah, these... These aren't superhuman superheroes. Yep. 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 They're us. And they're the yep. scripture is revealing the story of man. Yep. And so what does that have to do with us today? Like how how do we mm-hmm. So instead of just saying, Oh, Abraham did this and this, so I'm gonna go do this and this, and because he lied about mm-hmm. his wife, then it mm-hmm. must be okay for me. Like how do we make application? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm for our day. Mm-hmm. So there's three things specifically. It's following the golden thread within your life and it's searching for that which is good, that which is beautiful and that which is true. Hmm. And there's something that is that has been revolutionizing the way in which I interact with life and that is do I believe that the truth will set me free? And I I think that key question is one of the things that determines where we're actually going to move towards. And it's one of the questions that I ask my young guys in prison when when I'm mentoring them is, do you believe that the truth will set you free? Because if they don't believe that, then there's really no help for them because then you're just wandering around. And you're not going to create this vision. But if you believe that the truth will set you free, then you go on this journey and a pilgrimage to find that which is actually true. And if you go back to the story in Genesis, and what you said is absolutely accurate, that the Bible is articulating the story of man. And if you look at the days of creation, this is so cool. If you go through day one, you have light and it's good. Then day two, you have the water being split and the water is up here and the water is down here. But God doesn't say anything about it being good. And then you get to day three and it has this double good. And then four, five, and six are actually just filling in the first three. So it's like the first three verses, God is creating these three different realms where we have the light and then you have the in-between the waters, the separation, and then you have the earth. And every place that it's talking about it being good is how it would reveal itself to mankind. And so this is the reflection of God actually creating from a, I know this sounds heretical, but from man's perception of that which is good. Hmm. Flesh that out. Okay, yes. So... It's obviously God's perception of what is good, right? But it's mm-hmm. as we bear the image of Christ properly, then, then man's perspective of that which is good is actually in alignment with heaven. Hmm. Does that make sense? So that is where I've been searching for the good, the beautiful, and the true. Yeah. And that's where Jones has helped me tremendously. I don't, I don't know if you know his story at all, but basically uh, he was a missionary uh, to India, contemporary of Gandhi. He wrote Gandhi's biography, which is really interesting. E. Stanley E. Jones. Stanley Jones. Okay. Not a very well-known guy, yeah. but his writing. He wrote The Christ of the Indian Road, uh, The Christ of the American Road, 
the Christ of the Mount, these different works. Yeah. And what what he does is he searches for that golden thread throughout all of, you could say, culture and all of religions. And so he talks about this notion of the little truths and the greater truths. And he talks about these little truths as being a grasping towards a greater truth. Hmm. Does that make sense? And so then in in so, Buddhism... So little truths being things we as humans tap into that happen to be a part of the greater truth. Yes, Is that, okay. yes, yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's like in Buddhism, there's an aspect of meditation and you could say separating yourself from the world. Like there's a small truth that's embedded within that. Yeah. And it's actually something that as the the human experience with that is something that leads humanity into a better place, hmm. generally hmm. speaking. And so then you find those small truths embedded within culture, within beauty, within nature, within all of those things. But it's only as you, you see that in Christ that the greater truth becomes manifested. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? As opposed to just a meditation about something else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there was an author, her name is uh, Lois Tverberg. I don't know if okay. you've read any of her books. No. She has this series, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. Oh, those, those titles sound familiar. What did you say? Lois? Lois Tverberg. Tverberg. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I was, I was a Fairly, I mean, I'm still a young man, but it was maybe, what, seven years ago when I first read one of her books. Okay. And it was, it was another one of those just transformative works in understanding the way in which the Bible communicates itself to us. Yeah. And within that, what you find is that everything finds its true reality in the person of jesus hmm. mm-hmm. so anyways yeah yeah no that's good that's i love it it's it's there's a lot of similarity but it's also kind of an interesting new perspective to kind of ponder and think about mm. mm-hmm. the um so what are you are you saying then that as we live in the world today our focus and goal should be so mm. I just what seems good to me like how how do I how do I know that what I'm mm-hmm. thinking is good is actually good mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is it safe to just say we can go out and do that or or how do we keep from just yep, yep. using the bible as yep. this like um, yep. what did you say earlier guide um guidebook or whatever guidebook yeah. to pull out principles yeah. and live by so what, what I would say the answer to that, it falls into this notion of the paradoxical reality of truth. Is that something that you've interacted with at all? Is the like, notion that a higher truth always sits at the place where two lesser truths are at a juxtaposition? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like with, within our, you could say, theological history, the notion of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. It's something that's easy to grab onto. Mm -hmm. But basically what you find then when you come to the biblical narrative, and if you would ask an ancient Hebrew, like, is God sovereign? Yes. Does man have free will? Yes. 
And it's when these things are held in tension that a greater truth can emerge. And so what you're what you're asking within this context is, well, how then do you navigate life from a perspective of that which is good? And honestly, what I'm seeing is that the good has to emerge in the context of the sovereignty of the individual and the wisdom of the collective. Hmm. And so that's that's how you're navigating through this thing. And that is why communion, fellowship, interacting with other believers, these conversations, mm-hmm. why they're so unbelievably important. Mm-hmm. Because we can't move forward on our own. Mm-hmm. And why God chose to make it that way, I don't know. But that's the way he chose to make it. Yeah, yeah. So what is the collective just just my local church just my friends just like are you thinking broadly like historically globally or yeah what's the collective that that's good yeah and if it is broad yeah. what do i yeah. do with the fact that yeah. so many especially today like yeah. so many christians have different beliefs about yeah. things yeah yeah i mean we've grown up in a very radical time in history because for most of history that that question really wouldn't be that much of a question because yeah. everything was in the local context. And now we've we've gone way beyond the local context to where, I mean, we could sit down and we could listen to a message from Sri Lanka and Japan and Germany and South America, North America, and we could listen to sermons from the Reforms, from the Orthodox, from the Catholic, from the Mennonite, from mm. all of this. And so what I'm seeing today is... This coming together, Francis Chan, Preston Sprinkle, they have a phenomenal book called Until Unity, mm-hmm. and it's grappling with that very question. And so what I would say is that if we see things from God's perspective and from the heavenly perspective, then it's going to be outside of time, and it's going to be outside of our individual specific context Hmm. now that doesn't mean that our individual specific context is not important because it is Mm -hmm. but what then we see is this this notion of you could say the cloud of witnesses right or the body of the saints and that notion as it works in the past in the present and then also into the future Yeah. yeah I, I'm going to ask you something, and if if you'd rather not go here, that's that's fine. But I'm just curious how how do you break this down into your local context, like particularly mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. church at Skyline? Mm-hmm. Like, how does mm-hmm. that affect? Mm-hmm. I'm trying I'm trying to interact with like we have this view of reading the Bible so to know what to do and not to do, mm-hmm. right? So I'm trying to interact with that a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Like how does that work out practically? Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, like how do you, mm-hmm. how do you help people interact with scripture in a local context where mm-hmm. we may have differences and mm-hmm. different ways mm-hmm. of looking at things? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I would say to that is, it's helped me not create this dogmatic perspective of my way or the highway. Or I'm right, you're wrong mentality. Because I, do, I think that when we live with this I'm right, you're wrong mentality, we've already missed it. Like yeah, you, yeah. you can be dead right and you're still wrong. Yeah. Because you're not actually walking it out from a perspective of 
of love. So the first thing that I would say is when we came to Skyline, there was something that I noticed that was missing. And that was that we don't do expository preaching well at all. And so then I was asked to get put on the leadership team. Well, at the time we were in prison ministry, my wife didn't feel comfortable with it and it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. So I said no. And then a year later, they ask again, and at that point in time, wrestled through it again, and they said yes. And it, the decision came down for me is when I see something that I perceive to be a problem, now whether it is a problem or not is another matter, but if I perceive it to be a problem, I have two responses to that. I can either choose to engage or I can choose to disengage. Hmm. So the, pro the problem was lack of expository teaching. Yeah, yeah, in that? a nutshell. Okay, yeah. Very simplistically, yes. Yeah. And so then I felt as though I have to engage because this is the way that God has been orienting me mm. with mm. the notion of using the knowledge that I have gained in order to benefit someone else. Yeah. Because I honestly believe that if we're if we're given anything through the idea of knowledge then it's not for me to hold on to. Because if I hold on to it, it actually becomes dead. Hmm. It's only as I give it up that it can produce what it's intended to produce. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, is the answer to the local context, is when God is giving you something, now that could be in knowledge, that could be in experience, that can be anything that's your testimony, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately how we overcome the enemy is by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So word of our testimony. Now that can be deed, that can be action, that can be service, that can be any one of the gifts, right? But you use that and then you use that to build up your local context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah, so the things that you're, you're seeing and feeling a need for, leaning into that yes. and, and being willing to engage yes. with it instead of just disengagement might look like somebody should do something but then you're not really doing anything. Yeah. So I'm going to give I'm going to give you this example and it's kind of a little bit of a unique example but I've been keeping bees for the last a uh, little bit over a year now. And it's so unbelievably interesting because if you get into this hive, right? There's one queen and she's the one that lays all of the eggs. But then when the hive gets too full to where they can't have they don't have any more room to lay eggs then what they do is they they create these queen cells so you can think about that and it's the it's the youngest bees they're called nurse bees that actually feed the cell and you can have either a drone which is a male bee or you can have a worker bee which is a female bee or you can have a queen bee those are your three options when it comes to what's going to come out of that cell hmm. after hmm. it's capped so the nurse bees which are the youngest ones they feed royal jelly to this larvae and then that larvae turns into the queen bee and so this is like the synergistic thing that i'm seeing within the body of christ it's the little one that's feeding its future queen who then it will serve. And it's because of that future queen that there will be future nurse bees. 
And so you have this notion where they're working together towards a common goal. And that common goal is the survival of the colony. Yeah. So you, you have those two notions right there. And it's, it's right there that I see the sovereignty of the individual and mm-hmm. I see the collective yeah. working together properly. Yeah. Because you have to have reverence for personality. Otherwise, it just becomes something akin to totalitarianism and top-down domination. And so, oh, man, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. So, I don't know if you want to get into this. You said, I forget if it was at the beginning or before we hit recording, but how kind of your view of reading the Bible had been modern, and now you're kind of Mm. rediscovering like a more orthodox. Mm -hmm. But kind of along this line, like... I think today we have this notion of studying the Bible ourselves, like waking up Mm. and having personal devotions. Mm -hmm. And through like historical studies and stuff, I'm discovering most of history Mm -hmm. wasn't that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And scripture not only was Mm -hmm. written in the context of community and other people, Mm -hmm. but was intended to be read and Mm -hmm. studied Mm -hmm. in the context. And it's kind of along the same Mm -hmm. line of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have you uh have you read the book The Book That Made Your World by Magawadi is the guy's name? No, you've he, mi- you've mentioned so many books that Okay. I've not read. Okay. That's fine. It's very interesting. He yeah, he's an Indian reading here. He's an Indian philosopher and he wrote to the West saying, "Look, the Bible is the book." that created Western civilization. You don't understand Hmm. the sovereignty of the individual and the notion of free will and any of that stuff. You don't get that unless you have the Bible. And so from, you're absolutely right. From an ancient perspective, you have this idea of, of reading aloud, reading communally, having these prayers communally. And what you find then is as a tradition, as this thing grew, even the thing that caused the Bible to give us Western civilization was the notion of study. Like the pastor's home was the first school Hmm. because they believed that it was very important to teach people how to be literate. And the Hebrew people, that was extremely important for them. Mm -hmm. So this notion of literacy goes way back. And I think that's something, specifically in our context within the conservative Anabaptist world, mm-hmm. we really need to rediscover that truth. Mm-hmm. What truth? The, tr- the truth that the Bible was intended in such a way that the people that interacted with it would become very astute students mm-hmm. of the Bible. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Hey friends, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Dwell app. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Dwell audio Bible app, but this app is phenomenal. It's changed my life in several different ways. As a Bible college student, I do tremendous amounts of Bible reading throughout the semester, more than I normally do. And I'm not a fast reader. And so one of the ways that I have been able to keep on top of the Bible reading is through the Dwell app. One of the things I really like about it is there's very 
the meditative, reflective music played in the background of the reader. So it's not dramatized. Some some audio Bible apps are dra- dramatized, and that's a little, I don't know, not my cup of tea. But it's a very calming and just peaceful way of having the Bible read to you. There's also, there's at least 15, I think there's close to 30 by now, different voices that you can choose from. There's many different translations you can choose from. For the ESV, I think there's maybe two or three voices, if that makes sense. But there's over 15 voices for sure. And so you can have a female voice, you can have a male voice, you can have a British accent, you can have an American accent, you can have a Canadian accent or a... Well, I like the British accent, so I listen to the Bible in the British accent, and it's it's been a really good way to keep on top of my homework, but also I have found sometimes I'll be listening to Audio Bible as I commute someplace or as I'm doing some other work, or even in the morning. Sometimes it's hard to wake up, you're tired, and to sit down and read, it literally feels like an intellectual exercise. You're just... It's like school, like starting your day with school. And I love learning things, but I'm not like, I don't do well at starting my day with school. And so when you wake up and you're tired, but you want you want to meditate on the word of God to just put in my Air, AirPods and listen to the Dwell app is an incredible way to start my morning, just in peaceful worship, meditation. I hear things differently when I hear it being read than when I read it. I personally think you should read and hear it both, but that's one thing I like about audio Bible is different things stick out that didn't stand out before. I'll listen to it as I'm going on a run or something, and I can't say enough good about the Dwell app. And so if you would like to take your meditation, your Bible reading to another level, you can also, if you're not able to sleep at night, you can put in your AirPods and, and listen to the scripture being read and fall asleep that way. I've used that at times as well, but you can start for free. There's a link in the description below, or you can go ahead and purchase the the annual plan, which I have. And it's, to me, it's very much worth it just in the way, a couple things, the way it helps me uh, meditate and kind of a fresh view, a fresh experience with scripture. And then also the way it helps me keep on top of my homework. It's been very helpful for me. So what what do you... Something I hear a lot is that... Okay, so for me, discovering that, oh, the, the Bible is more than just this, it's on the page, so I'm going to go try to do it in my life. Mm. Like that, that was freeing. Mm-hmm. It actually mm-hmm. made the Bible come alive. Mm-hmm. And as I realized mm-hmm. there's there's a story here mm-hmm. that not only is is that being communicated through the pages, but it's something I'm invited into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when I go to communicate that with other people, mm-hmm. I hear exhaustion. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this just makes it even more com- complex mm-hmm. and complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you say to people who are feeling like, this? yeah, this makes me even more... Af- not afraid, but just um, not into reading the Bible. Uh, it, it <laughs> creates, what if I'm reading it wrong? It I, creates a sense of chaos. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is when the children of Israel left Egypt, where did they go? They went out yeah. into the wilderness, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so before you get to the promised land, you're going to walk through the wilderness. Hmm. And it's so That's interesting good. because the wilderness is the place of potential, right? Which is actually the same place that 
God sp- speaks to the people. Yeah. And if you understand that, just maybe the wilderness is the blessing that you need to gain the information that hmm. is, and when I say information, I don't mean knowledge, but the information that you need to bring about the promised land that you're desiring to enter into. Yeah. And initially it is, it is somewhat of a scary journey. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with that because another one of my certainly intellectual heroes is my grandfather. Hmm. Grandpa Mast, phenomenal man. And what he would have taught us growing up was this notion of simplicity when it comes to the Bible. And so he would tell us very often that we set out on this journey with Jesus as our path, the Bible as our guide, and heaven as our destination. Hmm. Like I've heard him Hmm. say variations of that all through my life. But he had a very negative view of higher education, college, Hmm. going beyond the traditional. And for him, that was stabilizing. And so I think there is an element to where we have to give grace Mm. for that side of things Mm. and recognize the value in just simply tradition Mm. and the value and the stabilizing factor of tradition. Mm. Because even the Garden of Eden, right? It's a walled-in space, which is the known territory. And then you have outside of the garden, which is the wilderness, which is the unknown territory. And hopefully as a human being, at least as a young human being, your desire is is to be right in right in the center of those two, of the known territory and and the unknown territory. Hmm. Hmm. But there is a sense in which it is vitally important for us to hold on to the faith, the tradition yeah. of our fathers, yeah. to stay stable. Yeah. Well, it's inter- just as you're talking about that, you know the the children of Israel leaving Egypt, they go out into this wilderness. But there's like that's when they experience god personally yep and it's also they have to cling on to tradition yep or or they end up building golden calves and and so there is like i'm not sure i don't know if you intended to but it it sort of seemed like maybe you framed it as as two competing notions but i wonder if they actually are or if it there is this piece of in order to, like, as we rediscover, really, there's any any time you get to know something anew, there's mm-hmm. this season of disorientation. Yep, yep. That even happens in marriage sometimes. Like, yep. obviously, it's a little different because we, as husbands or wives, are are changing. Like, we're constantly changing, and God doesn't. But anytime you think you know something and you discover something new, mm-hmm. it's a little disoriented. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of mm-hmm. mm-hmm. recalibrate. And so the more we we lean into God mm-hmm. through his word or like through his word, we get disoriented. You know, what do we do with certain aspects of the Old Testament that look like genocide and stuff like, you know, yeah. all these... Yeah big questions that things that don't, you know, especially if you come from a, a, a rigid literal mm-hmm. understanding of mm-hmm. scripture mm-hmm. and then you dive mm-hmm. even deeper mm-hmm. we say, study the Bible, study the mm-hmm. word of God. And then you discover, wait, some things don't mm-hmm. mathematically line up all the time mm-hmm. and like causes a sense of disorientation. Mm-hmm. Well, then there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to discover 
God anew, which is actually what our faith or Jesus, mm-hmm. our faith is in. It's not mm-hmm. in the text mm-hmm. of scripture, mm-hmm. but in order to do that, because there, so things are disoriented, we, wandering to and fro, we could just kind of go wherever to try to find God. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think traditions are valuable mm-hmm. in giving a mm-hmm. stabilizing you know, like if you're mm-hmm. walking through a dark room mm-hmm. and there's a counter at mm-hmm. least that you can feel, mm-hmm. but there's way more out mm-hmm. there to experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling out loud. Yeah, here, but... no, no, that's that's good. So the way that I would I would frame it to some degree is this this intergenerational conflict, if you want to talk about it like that, because it's the responsibility of the father to create the structure for the son. But it's the responsibility of the son to test that structure, to make sure that that structure is founded upon the correct, you could say, foundation stones, Mm. the correct axiomatic presuppositions to actually walk out life. Mm. Because life is constantly changing and it's complex. Mm. And so if, if the father does his job properly, then what does he do? He sets the path before the sun, he illuminates the path and says, hey, this is the correct way to go. But the sun has to go off on the adventure enough to discover out on the adventure the information that he needs to recapture the structure. Hmm. Like Back when Disney was actually a decent place before it went into this whole nonsense, but there was uh, there was a variety of movies, but Pinocchio. I don't know if you've ever watched Pinocchio, yeah. probably. But it's a perfect example of this, where the father is the one that creates the son, and he's not a son yet in this sense. He's he's still a puppet, right? Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and he experiences all these things, and it's so fascinating because the cricket is the conscience, and all of these things, and he goes to Pleasure Island. And on Pleasure Island, you turn into a donkey if you don't escape Pleasure Island. And he comes to himself. It's the same story as the prodigal son. And he comes to himself. And then where does he end up? He ends up at the bottom of the ocean, which is the moment when you become enlightened as a son, where do you end up? You end up in the wilderness. You end up in chaos. You end up in the sea of darkness. And that's where his father is at in the belly of the whale because the father went out searching for the son trying to get him. And it's as the son then goes into the whale and he resurrects the spirit of the father. They both come out of that. That's how the son becomes a boy. It's because he does an act of love that causes him to actually become a boy. Hmm. And mm-hmm. so if we, if we understand that story, that is the hero's journey. And that is the difference between <laughs> Nietzsche's view of the world and that the, the fundamental reality is the edible mother versus... Hmm. You could say Jung's perspective of the world in that it's actually the hero's journey. Hmm. And the biblical narrative is very much founded on the notion that it's the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I would say. There is some disorientation, but if the father does his job properly, he orients the son. Yeah. The son, now all the sons out there are going to say, see, I can go out and I can <laughs> test my father. And to some degree that's true, but you also have to remember that... Most of the children of Israel died in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. So, and and a, a lot of faith is lost in the wilderness. Yep, yep. But yep. yeah, yeah, that's good. So, what what about the Bible or the biblical story makes you most excited today mm. for mm. your life? Hmm. 
and and I'm not saying, you know, the correct answer would be Jesus, but maybe <laughs> maybe more specific and and personal. Yeah. So I'll tell you a, a story associated with that, and then that which I'm most excited about. Yeah. Um, it was a year and a half after we were out here, and I was really struggling with this thing of purpose. Uh, because if you think being a prison chaplain is a glamorous job, you should definitely try being a prison chaplain because it's the most unglamorous thing you could mm -hmm. possibly do. And so I was really struggling with purpose. And so I mm. decided I'm going to go and just go on a hike up in the mountains. And so we live in Colorado, got to go in the mountains, right? And I had a desire to do Cresto Needles, which is the seventh hardest one in the state of Colorado. And so I set out, went up there in the morning, told my wife, I'm not going to climb it. All I want to do is is figure out the route because I'd never been up there before. It's so I get four, it's a 14 or so I get up there and there's three feet of snow. Uh, but for some reason, I was just like, I need to go and I need to climb this. So I called my wife. Hey, can I climb this? And she gave me permission to climb it. And so I climbed it and I almost died because you never want to do a 14er by yourself and you never want to do one in the winter like that, especially yeah. if you're not like some people can do it and it's fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. Anyway, hmm. so I was climbing there and on that journey, God showed me and he spoke to me very specifically. And he said, your purpose in life is to be a signpost to people. And what that means is you stand at crossroads and you simply point them in the direction that they might want to go because it might be good for them. Yeah. And I've never questioned that since. Yeah. And so what I'm most excited about as it pertains to the biblical narrative yeah. is interacting with that. So it's, it's using the gifts that I have, the information that I know, the training that I've experienced to simply then go be a signpost yeah, yeah. Uh, for individuals. And every day I get to go into prison, that's what I get to do, is yeah. sit down with these young men who are disoriented, who are in the wilderness, yeah. who don't know the direction, and hopefully give them a perspective of hope. That's really um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th thanks for sharing and having this conversation. There's a host of other things we could talk about too. Maybe we'll have you back on sometime. But one of the things I like about your journey in scripture bible study and everything is that it's it's pretty informal as mm -hmm. i understand mm -hmm. it kind of different than mine mine i'm not sure like you're much more personally motivated probably than me it takes me paying a lot of money and like having teachers holding deadlines over my head to get through something but a lot of people especially listening to this episode mm -hmm. don't have the time or the mm -hmm. space to, mm -hmm. to go through college or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And you've, you've kind of journeyed that yourself. What are some, you've already mentioned a host of resources, but what are some other, like someone who's like, man, this is really interesting. I'd love to, to go mm -hmm. deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's good because basically what happened for me is when I was doing construction, I had a lot of time. And so because I had a lot of time, I listened to a lot of audiobooks. Hmm. And so that's the first thing that I would say is because, yes, within our world today, like we don't have time to sit down and read just a tremendous amount of information, at least for us young guys, because we have yeah. a lot of things to do. Yeah. But if you have an hour, hour and a half during the day, 
Like audiobooks is a great resource. The other thing I would say was for about two years, I cut out all books and all I did was listen to the Bible and read the Bible. And so I think that that, yeah. that positioned me really, really well when I then went into other literature mm -hmm. because I had this foundation. And it's funny because when you listen to something over and over and over and over yeah. again, it's almost like you can think in that tone of voice. Yeah. And so it's, it's really fun to yeah. me because I listen to the ESV Bible on the Bible app. And mm -hmm. so when I am thinking about a scripture... I almost can hear the voice in my head yeah, yeah. saying what that scripture is, which has helped me with memorization, which has helped me recall things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing that I would say to you is, is spend a lot of time listening to the word of God yeah. and spend a lot of time reading the word of God and then find good, find good literature. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have time to read, then, then get some audiobooks and listen to them. And so there's a list that I wrote down these were extremely influential early on within my foundation. It was A.W. Tozer, um, his foundation work, The Pursuit of God, great place mm -hmm. to start. Mm -hmm. uh, the Attributes of God, Volume 1 and 2, mm -hmm. uh, it's a good, maybe a little bit more of a deeper dive. The Knowledge of the Holy, mm -hmm. good introductory work. C.S. Lewis, Chuck Swindoll, Lois Tverberg, Michael Reeves. He has a book, Delighting in the Trinity. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've read that. I've read something by Reeves, but not that okay. one. I can't remember what. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he has Rejoicing in Christ and Delighting in the Trinity. And Delighting in the Trinity is, if you want to have a very simplistic read on understanding that God created us from a perspective of love, that would be a perfect one oh, to dive into. Yeah. Uh, John Piper, Desiring God, mm. talks about Christian hedonism. And that was really influential early on. E. Stanley Jones, highly would recommend him. He doesn't have any audiobooks, uh, so those ones you're going to have to read. The Christ of the Mount uh, is probably the one that I would recommend. Francis Chan, there's audiobooks there. Um, Letters to the Churches has been extremely influential. I have not read that one. Yet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In understanding uh, his perspective on the way in which the church is working. I mentioned already Magawadi. And then there's a book by uh, Matthew Pajot. I had mentioned, mentioned that, that one earlier, yeah. The Language of Creation. That would be a good one. And then maybe, this is kind of a little bit of a different one, but Dick Winters, I don't know if you know who Dick Winters is. He was World War II, uh, Band of Brothers. If you've ever okay. watched Band of Brothers or heard about Band of Brothers, anyway, 101st Airborne Division. Okay. And he would have grown up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. His mother would have had a Mennonite background. Uh, his father did not. Yeah. And his, his biography uh, beyond Band of Brothers is actually an autobiography. Uh, so if there's any young guys that are listening to this and they want kind of a book on leadership, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be one that I would recommend. Beyond Band of Brothers. Beyond Band of Brothers, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, not yeah. Band of Brothers, Beyond Band of Brothers. Uh, Watchman Nee, I don't know if mm -hmm. you've read any of his stuff. The Spiritual yeah. Man, if anyone wants to take a deep dive into that, it's a very difficult book to get through, mm -hmm. but that would be one. David Berceau, I don't know if you've read any of his stuff. Will the Real Heretic Please Stand Up? He very much has an appreciation for the Anti-Nicene Fathers and understanding uh, Tertullian and Origen, Eusebius, all of these guys. So that, that would be a phenomenal thing to dive into. John Pollock, he has won The Apostle, Bonhoeffer, 
Yeah, and then David Bauer in the inductive Bible the study. Yeah. I think those would be most of what I would recommend. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks yep. for having this conversation with me. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. Unfeigned Christianity is brought to you by our members at Patreon. As a part of the membership program, you receive two deep dive essays a month and expanded versions of all our podcast interviews. If you would like to become a member, visit www.asherwhitmer.com forward slash member. Unfeigned Christianity podcast is also a part of two networks, the Restorative Faith Collective, where we have conversations about race, perspectives, and relationships in an Anabaptist context. To learn about more articles and podcasts, visit www.restorativefaithcollective.org. The second network is the Kingdom Outpost, where we talk about what it looks like to live as Jesus's nation in today's world. For more podcasts and articles, visit kingdomoutpost.org. Thanks for listening.